From the State Capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capitol Report. The Parkland shooting prompts proposed changes to Florida's death penalty law. If somebody like Nicholas Cruz does not meet the, um, the benchmark for the death penalty, then what do we have the death penalty for? Also this week, Florida drops out of a multi-state voter registration database meant to flag folks who cast ballots in more than one state. And that move has its critics. Well, it's really um, a loss. We'll also check out the state of Florida's troubled waters, follow the debate on tort reform, as well as gender-affirming care. I'm Tom Flanagan. Online and on air, this is Capital Report and our end-of-week wrap-up of top stories from the 2023 Florida lawmaking session. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. Florida State University, ranked in the top 20 among national public universities in the latest U.S. News and World Report. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. HR Florida State Council, affiliate of the Society of Human Resource Management, advocating for the workplace on behalf of 16,000 human resource professionals and 6,300 Florida employers. HR Florida State Council, more at hrflorida.org. And from a grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley, Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. Committees in the House and Senate this week voted, mostly along party lines, to get rid of a requirement that juries must be unanimous when sentencing someone to death. Gina Jordan reports the legislation is a response to the Parkland shooter getting life in prison. Nicholas Cruz pleaded guilty to 17 counts of murder at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and 17 counts of attempted murder. Last fall, a jury voted 9-3 to for the death penalty, but because it wasn't unanimous, a judge had no choice but to send Cruz to prison for life. My daughter Gina was murdered as she sat in the hallway. Tony Montalto's outrage has only grown since Cruz was sentenced last November, as he told the Senate Criminal Justice Committee. It's not about sending more people to death row. It's about providing justice for the victims. Too often, we see the victims minimized in this process as we spend so much time talking about the perpetrator and his actions. That is why I support this bill. If somebody like Nicholas Cruz does not meet the, um, the benchmark for the death penalty, then what do we have the death penalty for? Spring Hill Republican Senator Blaze Angolia sponsors the bill that would lower the number of jurors needed to vote for the death penalty. Only 10 jurors would have to vote yes to automatically trigger a death penalty. If fewer than 10 but more than 8 vote yes, the decision goes to a judge. If fewer than 8 vote yes, it's an automatic life sentence. I think the first issue with this bill is that it's really not ready for prime time. Boca Raton Democratic Senator Tina Polsky said she wasn't sure what she was voting on as the Senate bill keeps changing. Her district includes Parkland. I am devastated by what happened. Um, I want you to know where my heart is, and I think you know that. 
And I think there are a lot of ways that we can work on how and why that tragedy occurred. And I won't say his name. And I do agree that that is when the death penalty should have been found. But Polsky voted no, saying the bill in its current form is confusing. The House bill is simpler than the Senate version. It would require judges to impose a death sentence if at least eight jurors vote yes. In a House committee hearing, 10th Judicial Circuit Public Defender Rex Dimmig tried to convince lawmakers that jury decisions in death penalty cases should remain anonymous. What the Florida Public Defenders Association says now is that unless the death penalty itself is ever stricken, the law we have in Florida is the one most likely to survive any constitutional challenges. Some of the most notorious killers, you'd be surprised, were not unanimous jury recommendations. Clearwater Republican Representative Bernie Jacques explained that Florida used to allow a simple 7-5 to five majority vote for death sentences. But following Florida and U.S. Supreme Court decisions, the legislature in 2017 moved to unanimous juries. You go back to Ted Bundy, one of the most notorious serial killers in this area, raping and killing. That jury was not even uh, uh, unanimous in the recommendation. Bundy was executed in 1989. The House bill has a few more committee stops, while the Senate bill has one more stop before going to the full chamber. I'm Gina Jordan. It wouldn't be a Florida legislative session without a political fight over voting, but the state's decision to end its relationship with a national voter verification clearinghouse after three years has brought anger and surprise, as we hear from Steve Bosquet. Florida has cut ties with ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center. The state joined it during Governor Ron DeSantis' first term, ERIC helps states share data to track duplicate voter registrations. Among the 30 participating states, ERIC claims to have found more than a million cases of duplicate registrations. Florida Secretary of State Cord Byrd recently told the right-leaning news site One America News Network that Florida had concerns about partisanship in ERIC's oversight board. Sure. Well, we were concerned with the fact that maybe some of Florida's data was being shared um, outside of the organization, which is in violation of the agreement that we have uh, with ERIC. So once again, we were concerned with some of the partisan nature uh, and that it was being used not for the, the in, its intent, which was for states to have a clearinghouse of voter information, and that that, uh, that information may have been uh, leaked to third parties, which were then using it for partisan activities. In a statement, ERIC defended its work but did not address the criticism. A non-voting member of ERIC's board is David Becker, a Washington lawyer who runs the Center for Election Innovation and Research, CEIR. On Twitter, Becker has thanked Facebook executive Mark Zuckerberg for his financial support of voter education. And DeSantis led an effort in Florida to ban Florida counties from accepting money from Zuckerberg, disparaging his donations as, quote, Zuckerbucks. The decision to withdraw from ERIC has left Florida election supervisors blindsided and angry. Well, it's really um, a loss. Lori Edwards is supervisor of elections in Polk County. Supervisors of elections work very hard to uh, encourage the state to become a member of this. And our support all along was based on the fact that we realized there was, and is now again, 
a gaping hole in that there is no communication between states, no reliable communication. Florida's move to abandon ERIC comes as the state has made a push to combat voter fraud. Losing a key tool in that effort is a problem. Secretary of State Byrd has said the state can voluntarily compare its roles with other states one at a time. For Polk's Edwards, concern remains. So now we've just gone back into the dark ages. I'm Steve Bosquet. Coming up on Capitol Report, Governor DeSantis says the state's water quality is rebounding. But even some Florida lawmakers say the situation may be a bit less rosy than it's being portrayed. What's really affecting my district right now is red tide. A plan to regulate kratom use in Florida is moving through House and Senate committees with unanimous support. We don't want people to spike it or to cut it. We want an unadulterated, pure form going to the consumer at the end of the day. Sweeping tort reform seems to have a better chance in Florida now than it has in the past, mainly because of judicial appointments made by Governor DeSantis. Then after the Supreme Court overturned some of these legislative victories. And Florida's proposed limits on gender-affirming care for young people has some sounding the alarm. So we got to be ready to support patients in those areas if symptoms start to increase or flare up. Support for Capital Report is provided by a grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley, supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. As the state's water quality issues continue to threaten marine life and residents alike, Kevin Del Orbe reports on a few of the measures lawmakers are eyeing in an effort to improve one of the state's most valuable natural resources. In his State of the State address, Governor Ron DeSantis touted the legislature's response to Florida's water quality issues. We've ushered in a new era of stewardship for Florida's natural resources securing historic funding for water quality and Everglades projects, improving our water policy, and utilizing technology to combat things like algal blooms and red tide. We promise to leave Florida to God better than we found it, and we are making good on that promise. However, the reality doesn't look as promising. From the Everglades to the Indian River Lagoon, pollutants and nutrient runoff is wreaking havoc on the quality of the state's fresh and saltwater ecosystems across the state. A number of bills filed by lawmakers this legislative session aim to address a range of these issues. Democratic Representative Lindsey Cross filed HB 423, a measure that would implement a statewide septic inspection program. We've got about 2.7 million septic tanks around our state, both in rural and urban areas. Some of them could have been in the ground for decades and essentially are just leaking untreated sewage into our aquifers, into our waterways. If left unkept, these outdated systems are known for causing blue-green algae, a microorganism that can kill animals and get people sick if exposed. A separate measure, HB 827, sponsored by Republican Representative Fabian Basabi, would provide grant funding to the Department of Environmental Protection to restore leaking septic tanks. The bill unanimously passed its first committee stop earlier this week. In Pinellas County, Cross says blue-green algae isn't the only water quality issue her district is dealing with. 
What's really affecting my district right now is red tide. One of the reasons why I live in the Tampa Bay area is because I spent my spring break on Clearwater Beach. If I was having to step over dead fish and swim amongst, you know, floating dead carcasses, there's a really strong likelihood that I would never have moved to Florida. These harmful algae blooms are affecting areas across the state. An initiative voiced by the governor in his State of the State address was the Indian River Lagoon Protection Program. The project would dedicate $20 million to reduce the amount of pollutant and nutrient runoff along the Indian River Lagoon, one of the most biologically diverse estuaries in North America. In recent years, the state has seen an unprecedented manatee die-off due mostly to starvation as harmful algal blooms continue to cause widespread seagrass loss. HB 1379, sponsored by Republican Representative Kevin Steele, will lay the foundation for the program. Environmental advocates have shown frustration with a number of bills filed this session that will prevent or exempt certain water quality laws to be implemented. SB 1240, sponsored by Republican Senator Danny Burgess, would preempt local governments from adopting water quality laws specific to their area. Senate Minority Leader Lauren Book believes addressing the state's water quality issues should be a bipartisan effort the governor and the legislature can work on together. It would be disingenuous to, to say that when the governor came in, um, he had a, a very clear investment in our environment. And that is something that you know both sides of the aisle are aligned with and on. Um, but we constantly need, and I believe that our governor would agree, to be pushing ourselves to protect and defend our most important resource, which is water. I'm Kevin DeLorbe. Florida lawmakers are moving forward with a plan to regulate the use of Kratom, an herbal supplement that causes opioid and stimulant-like effects. As Valerie Crowder reports, the measure would set the age limit to purchase Kratom at 21 years old. Caleb Curl opened Chameleon Kava and Coffee in Tallahassee's Railroad Square about a month ago. As if a coffee shop, a bar, and a church had a baby, this is what you get. You know, you get the community feel of a church and the regularity of seeing the same people every week. You get the social scene of a bar, and then you get the aesthetics and the networking of a coffee shop. Curl says they serve coffee, kava, and kratom to a clientele of mostly college students. He says he's concerned that setting the age limit of kratom use to 21 would turn away customers. Granted, yeah, we do have other alternatives that, that they could, um, you know, consume, you know, while sitting in here. Um, but I just think it would just kind of be like a, a big turnoff. Carl says he supports lawmakers' other efforts to regulate how Kratom products are manufactured and distributed. For instance, the proposed Florida Kratom Consumer Protection Act would ban Kratom manufacturers and sellers from mixing the substance with illegal drugs and synthetic compounds. Here's one of the bill's sponsors, Sarasota Republican Senator Joe Gruders. We don't want people to spike it or to cut it. We want an unadulterated uh, pure form going to the consumer at the end of the day. Right now, there are no state or federal regulations of Kratom. Under the proposal, Kratom packaging in Florida would have to include a suggested serving size and directions for taking the substance safely. Gruder says with the proper regulations in place, he believes the product is safe. Kratom solves a lot of issues. It, it, it helps people get off opioids. It's used as a uh, uh, for pain relief, and there are many uh, retailers and establishments out there that sells Kratom. What this process does is it regulates it. Gruders represents Sarasota County, the only county in the state where Kratom is banned. Other states have banned the substance, too. 
The National Institute on Drug Abuse says there have been a few Kratom-related deaths, and in nearly all of those cases, there were other drugs or contaminants found in the user's system. Kratom dependency can cause physical withdrawal symptoms similar to those experienced by people who abuse opioids. Democratic Senator Linda Stewart is also sponsoring the measure. Well, I really congratulate Senator Gruters for coming and bringing this to us. I think it's well worth at least this first step of getting it, uh, some regulation. The proposed Kratom Consumer Protection Act has come up in previous legislative sessions without passing. This year, it's received unanimous support in both the House and Senate as it moves through the committee process. I'm Valerie Crowder. Florida's Republican lawmakers are making good on efforts to revamp the state's lawsuit environment. It's a priority of House Speaker Paul Renner and has the backing of the governor. But Adrian Andrews reports Democrats have doubts over whether the bill will improve the state's insurance markets. If passed, House Bill 837 would change how civil claims and lawsuits are handled. The bill deals with things like personal injury and insurance claims. It revises how payouts are calculated and determined and would shorten the time frame for an injured person to file a claim. Democratic Representative Hillary Cassell of Dania Beach worries it gives large insurance companies an advantage. This bill is too extreme. This bill takes all the tools away from David against Goliath for insurance premiums that you have paid for, that you have worked for, and you put your head on a pillow at night with that security knowing the insurance company is going to be there for you when you need it. Republican leaders are supporting the legislation. Governor Ron DeSantis says the bill will lower premiums in the state's insurance market and hopefully encourage more companies to offer insurance in Florida. I'm for legal reform. You know, you guys be as ambitious uh, as you can. I'm for it. Clearly, when you look at how our legal system is set up, it is designed in the state of Florida to invite litigation rather than invite settlement. And you see that are the reason we've had problems with property insurance, with auto insurance rates uh, because, because of the litigation climate. So I think all those, but I'm not saying don't do this or don't do that. Um, I'd like to see uh, across the board uh, legal reform. Supporters include the pro-business groups, Associated Industries of Florida, and the Florida Chamber of Commerce. They say the current liability lawsuit system has been abused. The bill as it is now does not include any changes to the state's medical malpractice laws. I'm Adrian Andrews. Florida has plenty of challenges, but Mark Wilson, the longtime president and CEO of the Florida Chamber of Commerce, has his eye on one in particular. Florida has one big problem, and that's our lawsuit tsunami, absolutely out-of-control lawsuit abuse problem in Florida. It's making food more expensive. It's making gas more expensive. It's making our insurance costs more. Which is why the Chamber, along with other business advocates such as Associated Industries of Florida, has long sought tort reform, meaning laws that would reduce the number and extent of lawsuits filed against the state's businesses. And Wilson believes there's one particular group of people responsible for filing all this needless litigation. You know, we need to protect consumers and local businesses from all of the personal injury trial lawyers who advertise on TV, radio, billboards. I mean, you, you can't escape it in Florida, and it's making life more expensive for almost everyone in Florida. In addition, Wilson blames such things as assignment of benefits. That's where a third party, a roofing contractor, for instance, gets the homeowner to sign over the authority to deal with the insurance company over a roof replacement claim. 
and then winds up suing the insurance company for a much bigger payout. There's also the one-way attorney fee law, meant to shield homeowners from crushing legal bills if they file suit against a company. Wilson notes mostly pro-business Republican lawmakers had tried to repeal those laws in the past to no avail. The legislature over the last 15, 20 years has passed meaningful reforms only to have an activist Supreme Court overturn some of these legislative victories and go against what the legislature's intent was. Wilson believes the judicial appointments, both in the lower courts and state Supreme Court made by Governor DeSantis over the past four years, will clear the way for new tort reforms to take effect. Still, Wilson insists Florida's businesses aren't looking for massive change. They're simply looking, he says, for a litigation climate similar to that in the majority of other states. We don't need to be the best in the country at this. We just need to be average. And he's pushing back against critics who say tort reform in Florida means the average consumer will have no legal recourse if a business treats them unfairly. That's fundamental to the right of every Floridian. And remember, you know, a lot of times local businesses have to go into court, too. So we will fight to the death to make sure that everyone who needs to get into the court system, whether it's fighting against insurance or fighting against another business or fighting against a neighbor on a homeowner's dispute, we have to have access to the courts. Still a drop in the number of unnecessary lawsuits, Wilson says, will have substantial benefits for the average Floridian, especially those who've been seeing their property insurance rates rise. I think we'll see more competition. We'll see more insurance companies want to come into Florida. And just if you think about it, the more competition we have among insurance companies, the better services we're going to get and the lower prices are going to go over time. This is literally common sense and it's how free enterprise works. A key Florida Senate committee advanced its version of a sweeping tort reform measure this week on a party-line vote, but the bill's sponsor, Republican Senator Travis Hudson of St. Augustine, indicated it may undergo multiple adjustments going forward. You're listening to Capital Report from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Flanagan. Finally this week, rules barring doctors from providing gender-affirming treatments like puberty blockers and hormones to minors will soon go into effect in Florida. And Republican state lawmakers want to further restrict access to care. They filed bills last week that would make it illegal to provide such treatments to transgender kids. The legislation would also make it harder for adults to get care and would prevent insurers and public institutions from helping pay for it. For now, clinical psychologist Jennifer Evans with the University of Florida's Youth Gender Clinic says she and her colleagues are working to provide trans kids with the best possible care they can while they still can. And she talked with Health News Florida's Stephanie Colombini. Talk about why your role as a psychologist may be more important than ever now that kids won't have other options for treatment like hormones. I'm gearing up to try to do some group therapy so that we can try to provide services to more of these patients who are having their access restricted. I'm thinking of potentially doing a group for parents of kids who maybe would have been ready to start puberty blockers and then also looking at 
that uh, like high school age range where I think 16 is kind of the average age where our patients have been starting on hormones, if that's appropriate for them. And that's consented to by the family and the patient um, because they're going to see the goal is kind of in reach at 18 and it's really painful for them to have to wait from 14 to 18, knowing it's around the corner and there's nothing I can do to get more comfortable in my body. Yeah. And they'll be going through physical changes during puberty that don't align with their identity. What kind of mental support are they going to need during that time? I think group therapy, individual therapy to address symptoms of depression, body image, uh, and eating disorder type difficulties. That's sometimes a sort of creative way that patients try to address dysphoria. Anxiety is going to be a big one, including social anxiety, uh, increases in substance use potentially to help people cope with that discomfort, that anxiety, that depression. So we got to be ready to support patients in those areas if symptoms start to increase or flare up. And your clinic was already one of few places in this state that was providing gender affirming care. So if its future is threatened, you know, what, what could that mean? Yeah. So my understanding at this point is that the UF Youth Gender Program is the last remaining youth gender program in the state. The three or four others that existed closed down pretty early in the Board of Medicine starting to gear up to roll out these changes. I've heard of a number of providers leaving the state. And yeah, you're absolutely right. There's already so few medical and mental health providers that do this work. And then the ones that we did have are dropping like flies because it's a scary time to be doing this practice. And it's um, the systems that these providers work in aren't always supportive of continuing that work amidst the political controversy around this issue. What's keeping you going? As a member of the queer community, I don't feel like I can step out of it. This feels very personal for me. I just refuse to back down because I know so many people that this healthcare has made such a huge impact on their lives in such a positive way. And the trans adults that I know in my personal life constantly tell me if only I could have accessed this as a minor, if that had been a thing, or if my parents had been affirming of it, my life could have been totally different much sooner. And so for me, it's just such a personal issue that I I don't know what it would take for me to back down and stop providing this Care Certainly, if laws prohibited me from doing it, I'd have to make a really tough decision about whether I would move out of state to continue doing the work I do or not, or if I would shift gears, which I it's painful to even think about what I would do in that situation, um, knowing how badly the state needs people who advocate for this trans-affirming care for minors and for adults. I'm really hesitant to let it push me out of the state because that doesn't ever create change in the way that we need it to go if we all leave. That was psychologist Jennifer Evans speaking with reporter Stephanie Colombini. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Brendan Brown, Valerie Crowder, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, and Margie Menzel. Thanks also to Steve Bosquet, Kevin Del Orbe, and Stephanie Colombini. Technical assistance for Capital Report comes from Taylor Cox, and I'm Tom Flanagan. Join us every Monday through Thursday during the 2023 Florida Legislative Session for Capital Report, the podcast. Available by 6.30 Eastern Time each evening from wherever you get your podcasts. And join us online and on air next Friday for the Capitol Report end-of-week wrap-up of top stories from Tallahassee 
on many of these Florida public radio stations. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. A grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. The Florida AFL-CIO, representing over 1 million union members, retirees, and their families, committed to building a better future for all Floridians by promoting healthy communities, economic justice, and dignity in the workplace. Online at flaflcio.org. And from Rambana and Ritchie, immigration attorneys concentrating on complex immigration across the nation from Florida's capital and their mobile office. Self-sponsored green cards, I-9 compliance, and deportation defense. Rambana and Ritchie, on the web at rambana.com. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.